Hey, we are so glad that you are with us today here at Miles City. And man, we are excited to kick off the Christmas season. Thanksgiving has just ended and maybe you're decorating as you watch this. Maybe the decorations are already up. Maybe you got some Christmas music playing in the background. Man, we start hearing those songs on the radio. All we're missing is some snow. And as we think about Christmas, I like thinking about Christmas traditions. And I got thinking this week about some of the traditions that my family had. And one of the traditions that really sticks out to me is growing up, my mom would buy my sister and myself Hallmark Christmas ornaments every year. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, once in a while. Every year, my mom had an ornament for us. And not only did my mom buy us each an ornament, but also her two sisters, my two aunts, and my grandmother got in on the action as well. So you can imagine, I started to accumulate some serious Hallmark ornaments. This year, I asked my wife just to snap a picture of a few of them. So she got this picture, and you can see these are some all-time classic Ornaments. I've got the trombone here because that represented, I used to play the trombone while others really didn't represent anything. For instance, we've got the reindeer on ice skates. We've got a beaver playing soccer. We've got the little drummer boy with his favorite tin drum. No idea what any of these represent, but some of them actually meant something. And I say that's incredible. And I promise you, this is just a small sampling of how many ornaments that I have. In fact, I had my wife take another picture. Look here. On this second picture right here, I don't know if you can read this, but this says 94B. So that's Barry. That's me. And in 1994, my mom gave me this. And it it, it describes it. And I mean, these boxes are still original. But I want to point out, in 1994, I was 22 years old. And my mom was still buying me Hallmark Holiday ornaments. In fact, every once in a while, she still gets me one. She gets my kids one. But that was one of our favorite traditions. But for a lot of us, one of the favorite traditions we have is getting the Christmas tree. And I remember as a kid how excited I would be to get the Christmas tree. And man, the night before, my sister and I could barely sleep because we were so excited to get up the next morning to get the tree. And that morning would finally arrive because it meant, hey, the holiday, the Christmas season is kicking off, man. We can't wait for this. And so we'd get up that morning and we'd get dressed and we'd get ready to go get the tree. And then we'd all go down to the basement and we'd open the box and we'd get the tree out because we didn't have live trees at my house. Now, I say all that to say one year my mom finally gave in. And here was my mom's problem. A tree that had been outside, you never know what's going to be in this tree when you bring it into your house. And so she wanted nothing to do with live trees. We always had artificial trees up in our house. But one year she finally relented. And man, we were so excited. You know, the smell when you walk in the door, how beautiful it is. But you never know what's in that tree. In fact, just a couple years ago, my sister had a live tree in her house. She put it in there. She decorated it. The next morning she got up and her ceiling above the tree was covered in baby spiders from that tree. Needless to say, that was the last year my sister had a live tree in her house. But I digress back to our first live tree. So we get this tree and my mom is super decorating person. She she puts Martha Stewart to shame. And so she decorated that tree beautifully. But there was just one problem with that tree. You see, that tree was dying. In fact, it wasn't dying a slow death. It was dying quickly. And the needles began to fall. And it didn't matter how pretty my mom made that tree or how beautiful it was. Every day she was out with the vacuum, vacuuming up tons of dead needles that were falling out of that tree. 
For some reason, the tree didn't take the water that we are putting in the basin, and it became a mess. And maybe you're listening today, and if you're honest, your life is a little bit like that first Christmas tree that we got that was live. Maybe you are decorating to make your life look like it's all together. Just like the tree we had looked all together, it was beautiful. All those holiday ornaments on there from Hallmark, man, it was great. But that tree was dying and maybe your life today is falling apart. And no matter how hard you try to dress it up, it just seems like you spend this time looking okay to others and maybe even trying to convince yourself that everything's all right, when in fact, you need to redecorate. And this kind of redecorate that we're talking about isn't starting on the outside. In fact, I'm from down south and we used to call it putting lipstick on a pig. And sometimes we feel like that's what we're doing with our life. We're just putting lipstick on a pig and it's worthless because when we get to the nitty gritty of our life, when we get to the inside, we realize that it's a mess. And maybe you're watching today and you're just checking this whole Christian thing out. You're not really a follower of Christ yet. And you're just trying to figure this out. Well, let me tell you this. We as Christians, we as Christ followers, we can still make a mess of our lives. But the beauty of it is God gives us the Holy Spirit that enables us with some tools to redecorate from the inside out. So we don't have to continually put on something on the outside to make other people think we're okay or to make other people think we've got it together. And maybe we're dealing with these things on the inside of anger and depression and loneliness or maybe this reoccurring sin just keeps beating us down. And we're struggling with this constantly in our life. And we sit there and we want to help others around us. And we, but we can't even help ourselves in this world that's just spinning out of control. So where do we find these answers? Where are these tools that God enables us with? As Christ followers, we go to Scripture. And we see in Scripture the answers. And we're excited this Christmas season that we're going to look at some of the Christmas characters and we're going to see how the fruit of the Spirit affected their life. See, how do I redecorate with the fruit of the Spirit? How do I get past working on the outside and looking on the inside? How do I get past the cycle of constantly trying something new to make me look like I've got it all together? So today we want to spend just a few minutes diving into this to see what that looks like. But before we do, will you just take a moment and just clear your head and your heart. And let's spend a minute in prayer asking God to be with us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. And God, we're thankful for the copy of scripture that tells us exactly how we can redecorate our life in a way that's going to last. And God, I ask today as we go through these passages of Scripture and as we look at what you have to say and as we look at these Christmas characters, God, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to work in our heart and our life. Lord, clear our minds and our hearts. Help us to hear what you have to say to us today and we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to start our Christmas story in a little different place that we normally start the Christmas story. We're going to start in the book of Galatians. So if you have a copy of the scripture there or you have it on your device, go ahead and go to Galatians chapter 5. And just a little background on this, on this book. This, this book was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church. 
A church probably that looked a lot like our church today. Some people in there were searching. Some people were sold out followers of Christ. And probably there was some skeptics sitting there too. And the gist of this letter that he wrote to this church in Galatia was, hey, you don't have to try to follow after the law. You don't have to try to fulfill the law. The Old Testament part of scripture was all about the law. Listen, that's not what saves you. That's not what builds a relationship with Christ. In fact, what Jesus did when he came and died on the cross for us, that's what gives us that relationship. And then he gets towards the middle and kind of towards the end of the letter. And he starts saying, hey, if that's the case, if you understand that this is what Christ has done for you, then here's what your life should look like. And so we come to this passage in Galatians chapter five and verse number 16 says this. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So what Paul is writing in this letter, he's saying, listen, your flesh and your spirit are at a constant battle. The, the flesh is the idea of our wants and desires, and it battles against the spirit, the Holy Spirit that God provides when we follow after him. They're battling back and forth. It's this constant struggle. And he says, listen, here's what the works of the flesh look. Look what he said in verse number 19. He says this, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. At the end, he says, if I forgot anything, you got the idea. And he goes on to the next verse. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he comes to this spot and he says, listen, if this is what's evident in your life, this is what separates us from God. This is when we're following after us. These are sins that we choose to do. We can pick and choose some of these. Some of those on that list, you're like, man, I got no problem with that. But then maybe some of the others, you're like, yeah, I've had a problem with that. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, listen, I want to show you what walking after the Spirit looks like. So in the next verse, he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit twice in just that short passage in verse 16 and verse number 25 Paul tells us to not only walk but also to live by the spirit and so when we look at that, we begin to see, hey, this is what should happen. This, this, this is what I want my life to look like. I don't want that first list in my life. I want to see some of the fruit of the spirit in my life. This is what I'm looking for. But we realize it has to come from the Holy Spirit working through us. And Paul is challenging the believers. He's challenging the Christ followers of Galatia, just like he's challenging us today is to allow the Holy Spirit to redecorate us from the inside out. See, what I found in my life is that living life my way brings vices, but living life through the Spirit brings virtues. When I try to do things my way, vices, sins show up. 
I mess up. That first list starts to show up in my life. But when I'm walking in the spirit, that's when I get the fruit. That's when I see the virtues of the spirit in my life. It's easy to see what controls my actions by what my attitudes are. Our flesh still gets in the way of living totally surrendered to the spirit. And it can't help but produce that first list. But when our attitudes change, when we start seeing the fruit of the spirit in our life, because this fruit is attitudes. Love is an attitude. Joy is an attitude. Peace is an attitude. All of that list, those are attitudes that should happen in our life. But when we fall apart is not only are those attitudes, those are actions. Love is an action. Joy is an action. Peace is an action. And when things start to fall apart is when we try to have the actions without attitudes because actions without attitudes leads to hypocrisy. And many of us, we've tried to redecorate the outside. We want the outside to look good so we act like we love people. We act like we have joy. We act like we have peace. But the attitude inside of us hasn't changed. And we become hypocrites. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to bring these attitudes into our life, it produces healthy actions. And one other thing we see is this isn't a pick and choose like, oh, I'll have love today or I have joy or I have self-control. No, it says the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular because, yes, we can choose off that list of sins. Those are individual things. But the fruit of the Spirit is one big picture. And when I'm controlled by the spirit and he's working inside of me, he's redecorating my life from the inside out, then all of these should be evident in my life. It reminds me of that first tree that we had. That first tree, for some reason, wouldn't tap into the water. It was dying. It reminds me of what the psalmist said in Psalm chapter number one and verse number one. He said this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. See, this idea of redecorating has to start from the inside. This series of redecorate, we're not talking to you about doing something different on the outside. No, we're focusing. We want you to focus on the attitudes on the inside because that's what's going to change your life. Now you sit here and you're listening and you're like, Barry, I thought this was a Christmas series. You started out with a Christmas graphic. You showed me some pictures of some Christmas ornaments. You talked about the Christmas tree. And now you're all over me about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, the exciting thing is this. We as a teaching team sat down and we started looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And we started looking at the characters of the Christmas story. And in so many characters' life, we can see either the fulfillment or the lack of the fruit of the Spirit. And so today, I get to kick that off. And we're going to talk about two parts of the fruit with two characters of the Christmas story. So here, let's go to Matthew, finally get to the Christmas story. Let's go to Matthew chapter one and look at verse number 18 and see what scripture has to say. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved to divorce her quietly. It goes on to say this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He goes on in the story in verse 24 and he says this, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. When we look at the life of Joseph and the story that we find in scripture, we see a story that was never told before and will never be told again. This is the immaculate conception. Joseph is the only guy that will ever have this situation ever arise. Think about the conversation that him and Mary had that first night. Maybe they're sitting over dinner, maybe, I don't know, but can you imagine? So, so Mary, you're telling me you're pregnant, but you're also telling me God is the father? Now, Mary, I love you and I care about you, but do you hear yourself talking? Do you hear what you're telling me? Can you just imagine the thoughts that were going on, the confusion that was happening in the head of Joseph? And think about the recourse that he had legally. Legally, he was allowed to divorce her. See, they're in this betrothed period. Uh, tradition was that they, would, they were married, but they'd stay apart for nine months to a year to make sure that the new wife wasn't pregnant. And here it is, Mary's pregnant. And so legally, by the law, he had the right to divorce her. But here is where we see the first part of the fruit of the Spirit. See, through all of this, even before the angel came to Joseph, we see that he had goodness. We see some goodness in the life of Joseph. And so we see there was something different going on in the life of Joseph. When we look at Joseph, we see the righteous thing to do was to divorce Mary. But even then, he wasn't trying to make a spectacle of it. He was trying to do it privately. He wasn't trying to embarrass her. He wasn't trying to shame her. He was confused. But even through that, we see his character. We see his attitude of goodness towards Mary. See, goodness came alongside righteousness, and it softened out the hard edge kind of smoothed it over. See, goodness is righteousness through the lens of love. When I have goodness in my life, when you have goodness in your life, what that allows us to do is have righteousness. Righteousness is important and we should live righteous and holy lives. Scripture calls us to do that. But the attitude is, is that that goodness kind of softens, kind of smooths that out. And in this story, Joseph, man, he hears from God and he pondered he considered these things scripture says and that goodness started to kick in in his life and it started to smooth out the righteousness and he said hey see what God's doing here see Paul understood how goodness was important in the Christian life in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10 he says this so then as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith so what about us? Are we looking for opportunities to be good to everybody? I mean, that's what Scripture's commanding us to do. That's what Paul's telling the church at Galatia to do. He says, look for ways to be good. Have goodness in your life. Let goodness smooth out those righteous edges. Are we quick to judge others or do we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our heart before we speak, before we have that attitude of righteousness towards everyone and man, they should be doing right. Allow God to, 
work through us and, and, and show people goodness. So we see Joseph in the story and the goodness that he shows. But we get to jump to the second character, and that's Mary, and see what part of the fruit of the Spirit she demonstrates. So let's look at Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. Scripture says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The story goes on to say this. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now let's pause right there. This is some huge news that Mary is getting. Hey, you're a virgin. Uh, you're going to have a baby. And oh, by the way, he's going to be the son of God. That's pretty intense news. But what's Mary's attitude toward this? Look at verse number 38. It says this. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. So many times when I read scripture, I have a tendency to like put people in scripture on this pedestal. And a lot of times they should be. It's amazing what God did in their life and the way that they surrendered to God's leading in their life. But sometimes I forget to humanize the story. And when I studied this, tradition and history teach us that Mary was probably 14 to 16 years old. 14 to 16 years old. And she has an angel appearing to her, telling her she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. Now, I don't, I don't know how I would react to that. For one, I'm not a woman, so I never have to worry about that. But I can't imagine the thoughts that were going through her head. Here's this young girl, this young teenager, and she finds out she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And when she got to hear that news and she starts thinking about this, we start seeing some of the fruit of the Spirit displayed in her life. So the other fruit of the Spirit that we see in the story is that of gentleness. We see Mary already displaying gentleness in her life. See, this wasn't something that had to be taught to her. This wasn't something that was new to her because she had learned this. She had grown up hearing the law taught. She had heard the stories of a promised Messiah. She understood this concept. And so this gentleness idea, it brings with it a sense of humility. We see in Luke chapter 1, and I hope that you take the time over this Christmas season to read the story, but we see Mary's song. And even in the song, she's not making that song about her. No, she's exalting the one that's going to be her son, the son of God, the most holy high, when she's exalting him. She had this humility in her life. And really, that's what gentleness, that's where gentleness starts, is having humility in our life, not living life about me, but living my life about others, putting others in front of myself, especially when it comes to listening to what God has for us. 
See, gentleness is submitting both to the will and to the word of God. It's this idea of I'm going to listen to what he has to say and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. It was God's will for Mary to be the mother of Jesus. He understood her life. And so he made this uh, decree to her through the angel Gabriel and she listened and she followed after it. In our life, it's so important for us to learn gentleness, to learn humility, to learn that submission. James challenges us in James chapter one and verse 21. He said, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So what's our attitude towards gentleness? Have we humbled ourselves to the will and the word of God? Does the attitude of our heart really reflect that his will and his way is better than ours? Or are we fighting that attitude of making the Lord, making him take a back seat to our wishes and desires? Does the spirit guide our attitude of gentleness towards others? Do we display that in the conversations that we have and the way that we treat people? Is that attitude of gentleness evident in our life? So as we look at these two characters today, we looked at Joseph, we looked at Mary, we saw some goodness, we saw some gentleness. Where are we at? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, you know what, you know what? I think I'd like to redecorate. And just like that first Christmas tree I had, where it was beautiful, my mom had made it so special, so many lights, so many decorations, but it was dying. Every day it created a mess that at the end of the day she had to clean up. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe to the outside world your life looks beautiful, but you know on the inside you're dying. So there's three questions that I want us to ask ourselves today. The first question is this. Am I focusing more on my actions or my attitudes? Am I working on my attitudes before my actions or am I trying to just have the action and not really work on the attitude. Second thing is this, is goodness smoothing the edges of righteousness in the way I treat others? In my spirit, am I judgmental of others because they're not doing right or am I looking for the goodness and trying to to, to smooth out that hard edge of righteousness? And then the last question is this, do I have an attitude of gentleness when it comes to the will and the word of God? Am I humbling myself to follow after? Am I submitting myself to follow his will and his word. And today, maybe you're watching and you have to be honest, you say, I need to redecorate completely. I need to start over in my life because I don't even have the Holy Spirit helping me have this fruit. Man, I've been trying on my own and you're so tired of it. Well, I've got good news. This whole story of the Christmas season about this baby being born in a manger, that baby was born so that he could have a relationship with you. And he came and went through this whole process as the son of God, being raised as a baby, as a young child, all the way through his adulthood so that he could die on a cross to pay for your sin. See, the righteousness of God demanded payment. But the goodness of Jesus said, hey, I'm going to soften the edge of righteousness. I'm going to take the payment for them. I'm going to make that payment. And then he showed that gentleness when he humbled himself to the will of his father and he put himself on that cross, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again so that he could be in a living, live relationship with us. He's the only man 
in the history of mankind that's ever raised himself from the dead. This is legit. This isn't some uh, nice story. This is really, this story really happened. The Christmas story really happened. It might have not happened on December 25th, but it did happen. And we follow after a risen Christ. We follow after a risen Savior. And today, if you want to turn from trying to do things your own way and you want the Holy Spirit to redecorate your life, you want to give your life to him, you want to turn from your sin and turn to him, then today, I'm going to ask you just to pray this prayer with me. Just bow your head and say something like this. Say, dear Lord, I want to thank you for paying for my sin. And today... The best I know how, I'm putting my trust in you. Thank you for your death, for your burial, and your resurrection. And I set aside my pride, and I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you made that decision today, we are ecstatic. We are thrilled. Heaven is rejoicing that the fact that you've given your life to Christ. And we would love to celebrate with you. If you would just do me a favor and text the word Mile City to 94,000 and someone from our staff will reach out this week and we just want to connect with you and answer any questions that you might have to help you along the way. We want to pray with you, but man, we are excited. Please take a moment and do that.